Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. There are two City of Phoenix initiatives being voted on right now, uh, one on the light rail and one on pension reform, pension issues in, in Phoenix. And voting ends on Tuesday, uh, August 27th. It's probably too late to inform our listeners uh, before they vote. You know, early voting has been going on for a couple weeks already. But since we don't talk about City of Phoenix politics very much on this podcast, uh, we'll do an episode on it here. We will talk about those initiatives in the second part of the episode. But first, I want to talk about the dynamics of the city government itself. And voting and participation in elections have been historically low in Phoenix. Um, But because some people will say that's because the city does a very efficient and and good job at delivering basic services of of the city, which is what the city is supposed to do. So that's why there's low low turnout. But you've written in the past that uh, the low voter turnout decreases the legitimacy of the city government. So first question is, why is there such low participation and turnout in, in, in Phoenix historically, and how does that low turnout hurt, in your mind, the sense of legitimacy of the government of, of Phoenix? I think the low turnout is primarily attributable to the odd dates on which elections are, are held. I've, um, a little tongue-in-cheek, have said that the city of Phoenix holds um, by invitation only elections. They hold them at odd times, as we are seeing here. It's a it's a off election year. It's an odd number year. Uh, it's uh, late August, and we're going to hold an election in which probably twenty to twenty five percent of the voters will participate, and that's pretty much the norm. Uh, I've long called to move the city election schedule to correspond to the states uh, in which in the general election you get 60 to 75 percent turnout depending upon whether it's a presidential year or an off presidential year. Um, I do think that um, municipal governments in the valley uh, do a good job of providing basic services at a reasonable price and that there would be a degree of satisfaction. There would be a fall off. But the city of Scottsdale, for example, follows the state schedule and uh, voting for its mayoral and city council elections uh, are at least double um, in terms of voter participation what Phoenix sees. It's awfully hard to say that you speak for the people of Phoenix um, when you're elected uh, with 12 to 18 percent of the vote, a majority of 20 to 25 percent who vote. Uh, And so I do think that, that, that the legitimacy is weak, the ability to assert that you speak on behalf of this broad body politic. Uh, is practically uh, non-existent. Uh, And I just don't think it's uh, healthy for a democracy or a polity. In the low voter turnout, that's for everything, right? Uh, This council, the council people, uh, district elections, the mayoral election, and these sort of initiative elections. Why, I assume that the council could change that. Why... 
why haven't they made and switched the dates of the elections uh, in order to increase engagement with uh, their constituents? Well, because they're elected from the present system. I mean, the, 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 in low turnout elections, a certain type of voter uh, dominates. And, and I, I have also somewhat tongue-in-cheek called it um, the city p- political uh, groupies. It's, it's the municipal employees, it's the unions, it's the people who um, participate uh, in city programs and, and obtain city services outside that, that everybody uh, gets water, um, sewer, uh, garbage pickup. The city did make a minor change recently, uh, and voters approved it, um, which was to have the first election, the primary election, uh, for uh, city council and mayor to occur at the state's general election. Um, but if there's an important election, so you got two candidates that have to run off, that's not going to be held until uh, in the uh, early months of the following year. So they're going to have the least, the less important election occur when the most people can vote. And then if there's a runoff, um, so it's a closely contested race, that's going to take place when only 20 to 25% of the voters are going to participate. And did we see, because we just had an election under that schedule, right? Uh, and did we see that same pattern? Um, yeah, I in mean, the, I mean the, the most recent participation in the runoff election was was less than participation in the in the uh, primary election. It seems like we're about to talk about two two initiatives. Is that is changing that something that would have to come? Do you think from from an initiative to change the to change the dates? It it might. The state legislature has tried to require or encourage cities to adopt the state general election, um, the state election cycle uh, for both primary and general. Uh, That's been uh, thwarted by the courts um, who have uh, been sort of inconsistent. Uh, They have said that the state could dictate that the city had to hold elections on four different dates over the course of a year. Uh, but couldn't go further and to say, well, you got to hold, hold your elections contemporaneous with the state primary and, and general election. Uh, so probably it would take some kind of an initiative to change the city charter to fully adopt uh, to the state um, election schedule. And is that, so this election that's going on right now, was that just chosen, voted on by the council? Um, within limits, when when the council is presented with initiatives, as both of these are, uh, they're required to schedule the election within a certain period of time. The state has specified dates upon which cities can hold the election, and this was the one that suited the combination of those two timetables. This is not a case of the council playing games uh, in, in trying to affect the outcome by the timing of the election. That was pretty well set by um, when the initiative uh, proponents submitted their uh, petitions and when the dates became available with the state-dictated calendar. 
So let's talk about the initiatives now. Uh, Prop 105 is a uh, initiative that would stop uh, the expansion of the proposed light rail, not only going from from downtown to South Phoenix, but also would stop uh, the expansion of light rail uh, forever. Um, Taking a step back first on this one, just to talk about public transportation in general, uh, I think um, the the initial idea of a light rail is kind of like, well, we're in a huge city, fifth largest city in the nation, um, and we really don't have a good public transportation system. And I, when I moved to the only other major city I've lived in is uh, San Francisco Bay Area. And when I moved up there, I sold my car. There's no, there's no really reason to have a have a car, and you can get um, you can get around using using the transit system there, the BART, and the and the use the same card to swipe on on any buses you want to get into, and and you can really get get around uh, very efficiently without a car. <laughs> um, but coming back here, you, you really need one, and um, so but I guess the light rail doesn't it doesn't do that we don't really have that public transportation system here in phoenix i one of the missed opportunities that that we we have spent a great deal of money on seeking to improve the public transportation system and still don't have one which uh is broadly a acceptable alternative to owning a car. And, and I do. This is one where I sort of depart from my libertarian uh, brethren. Uh, I do believe that one of the amenities a large metropolitan area like ours should have is a public transportation system that is a reasonable alternative uh, to owning a car uh, and that it requires dedicated taxes to support that. So I, I support a tax-supported public transportation system that provides, on a broad basis, a reasonable alternative to a car. The problem is that um, light rail uh, has eaten up a tremendous amount of the resources that have been available from taxpayer-approved increases to carry relatively few people. Um, three times as many people take the bus system uh, in the valley as ride light rail. And the ridership, although we're plowing more and more money into it, the ridership of light rail is stagnant or declining. It's, it's not improving. And I think if we had taken the money that we had invested in light rail into a um, bus system, um, including... Uh, dedicated uh, lines uh, for the buses on our freeways so that you actually would have an advantage um, in part of a commute uh, by uh, being able to bypass all the congestion that's on the freeways. Uh, We could today have uh, that kind of transit system. This is limiting... There are three pots of money uh, to build fixed rail. Uh, the city of Phoenix has a special tax, there's a valley-wide tax, and there's federal funds. Um, and federal funds eat, use up a large portion of it. This only says that you can't use Phoenix um, 
sales taxes dedicated to transportation. This initiative? This initiative for any extension of light rail. That doesn't prevent extensions of light rail outside of Phoenix. It doesn't prevent extensions of light rail that are paid for by a combination of the valley-wide tax and federal funds. Um, so its its effect would be primarily in Phoenix and primarily to stop an extension um, into South Phoenix that uh, the business people who were the primary movers on this initiative uh, fear will put them out of business. If my, One of the big questions I had about this is why... If if this is a you know a grassroots uh, South Phoenix, because because originally it kind of was a, maybe a misunderstanding of hey we're going to expand this rail, and they're saying people there are saying that they didn't they weren't fully informed that it's going to go from four lanes right now there's two lanes on both sides on Central that it's going to go down to one lane on both sides and that was one of the things that that caused them to, to, to relook at this and want to want to stop it. Um, but why, why not narrow the, why not make a narrow initiative that says we just want to stop this specific expansion? Um, why add parts, the measure that makes it basically stopping it entirely from being expanded in other areas as well? Um, I don't have a good answer to that. Maybe the, the people who drafted it, um, thought that that would be too narrow um, a, to get uh, a, a focus to, to, to get it. it. It might be that they were persuaded by people who are more broadly opposed uh, to light rail um, to expand it. Um, it, it. It is, while I don't believe that we should continue to invest in light rail expansions, um, the proposition uh leaves the mechanism in place now where you create this big bucket of money that can be spent for any transportation-related measure that the city council decides on, uh, not just fixing roads, which is what the proponents are saying the money will be used for. There's no guarantee that there'll be more money for roads. But it includes things like like um, streetlights, um, uh lighting on on streets, median improvements, uh, bike paths. So to me, if if you're going to increase taxes, it should be for something that can't be done without increasing taxes. A public transportation system that gets people around qualifies, but the the city's general sales tax has gone from uh, over, uh, its, its rate has gone from has more than doubled since 1980. The rest of that stuff ought to not come out of an increase in the sales tax. So this this didn't decrease the transportation sales tax. It just said that the money can't be used for the thing that it's mostly now being used for, and it's going to go into this slush fund that can be used for whatever the council decides it wants to use it. So there's nothing specific in there that says fix our roads. There's nothing in it that says specifically use that money for better bus systems. And there's nothing that says it can't, you know. So um, the, the, those are eligible uses of the money, but they're not mandated uses of the money. So why I don't, so I, a couple of weeks ago, my car was broken. And I, I'd try to see if I could take the bus to, 
um, to my school. And yes, I can take the bus uh, to to where I work. Um, I did it for about three or four days, and several of the buses, uh, the coin machine or the dollar machine or the transfer pass printer was broken. So you couldn't, you know, a couple of times I, I wasn't able to pay the amount I wanted because they didn't accept. I had quarters uh, a couple of times that, that a dollar didn't go through. One time I couldn't get my transfer pass. And then uh, one time I was, I, I missed my, I was still getting used to the to the system. So I uh, blame myself partially for this, but I missed, I missed the transfer. I was on one bus, I had to transfer the other and I missed the transfer. And as soon as I missed it, I looked up the bus schedule and I wasn't going to be able to get to, to work on time. So I had to call, I had to, uh, to get an Uber at, at that point. Um, and I just, I just, I don't know. I would, I think in our, in our system right now, we can't really dig underground, uh, for, for right. a height, for a, you know, for like a subway system because our, our ground's too hard. And I guess we could build it up. We could build it higher because, uh, you know, the, the light rail stops at all. Light rail stops at all the stops, um, slows down all the other traffic. Um, it only goes in one one direction, and it wouldn't. So I guess why it seems like in Phoenix, the way Phoenix built, if you wanted to create really good public transportation, you would need a lot more buses, a lot faster, more frequent buses um, that maybe took more direct routes to certain places um, so I guess why not do that you know why why not be and I think the one other time we talked about city of Phoenix politics we had uh, mayoral candidate Moses Sanchez on and I really like his sort of phrase which was let's be brilliant at the basics and it seems like to me having a really efficient bus system is like that's a basic thing that we that we could we could have. So, I guess it's not you know it's not flashy or anything, but why isn't that the most well, sensible, cost efficient priority for getting the result that we want, which is a really good public transportation system? We don't need to get a car necessarily if you don't have to. You you, you have identified um, one of the reasons why um, fixed rail in Phoenix isn't. Um, working particularly well. It makes no sense to have a fixed rail route that shares space um, with cars on the roads. I mean, the one advantage that fixed rail can have is speed. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't have that advantage if you're sharing the road uh, with cars. Um, the, uh, the first fixed rail system that was developed for Phoenix was uh, called Valtrans. Um, it uh, was developed in the late 1980s. And it did call for uh, over 100 miles of elevated uh, light rail and relatively small cars. Um, that might have made sense, uh, but certainly the cheapest option would be to have a bus system um, that is a reliable alternative. And I don't think it would be particularly costly to give it an advantage on speed by on our freeways have dedicated right. uh, bus lanes. Yeah. Once, you, once you get on the surface streets, given 
um, how hot it is in Phoenix and how we can't in many months truly be a pedestrian city, you're going to have to have frequent stops. So it's going to be slower than a car, much slower than a car as you're getting to final destinations. But it could be quicker than a car uh, to get from node to node with dedicated uh, bus lines. I don't have a good answer to your um, question as to why aren't we doing that instead of what we're doing. There is, I think, um, sort of a metropolitan area fashion statement right, right. Uh, that's involved it looks cool with with, right with having light have, having fixed rail i mean that's <laughs> and it connects asu you know asu downtown to asu tempe and it, it uh you know it kind of connects tempe and phoenix which is the main sort the, of the, the system works for asu and uh, people who attend sports events downtown um, from certain areas, <laughs> from from certain areas, um, but it it doesn't serve as a um, alternative uh, to a car for uh, broad people, a broad scope of people, uh, and I do believe that the reason for that is is that we have poured a lion's share of the money into this fixed rail system. Yeah, and the other thing thinking about is where technology is going and stuff like when when we start getting self-driving cars and then, you know, the, really the only thing making Uber or Lyft more ride sharing, more expensive than driving is, um, you know, some of those overhead costs per mile. Once you have, you know, if you have like shared cars, shared, uh, self-driving cars that you just press a button, you know, at once you get there, it kind of disrupts the whole thing because then, People stop stop buying cars. You just have well, this self driving cars taking different places. I don't know if uh, government would have public interest. Obviously, maybe a public interest in that, but I, that's the whole the technology kind of opens up a whole new ball game when it comes to public transportation. Well, and and one of the other advantages to at this point improving the bus system uh, rather than pouring the money into fixed rail is that the buses will be less of a white elephant uh, if the public transportation of the future is uh, autonomous self-driving vehicles. Right. And and I think looking 15 to 20 years down the road, uh, that's more likely than not. Mm -hmm. I mean, you it, it would be far better to have a anachronistic bus system um, than uh, it would be to uh, have fixed rail that nobody rides anymore. Right. Well, that's the that's the light rail measure. Uh, let's talk a little bit here too about the pension funding. That's Prop One Hundred Six, um, and right now, how would you say our what's the state of this, the finances in the city of Phoenix, and um, what is the point of this proposition? Um, Phoenix has serious um, public pension debt problems. It's got uh, two basic systems. The, there's a state-administered program uh, for uh, firefighters and cops, but all the funding comes from the city. Uh, and that is over 60% um, unfunded, uh, meaning that the assets that are in the fund are insufficient uh, by a large measure uh, to pay the benefits that have been promised. Uh, the city runs its own pension program for other city employees. 
uh, that's 40% unfunded. So Proposition 106 would say um, that for a very narrow range of general fund programs, and this is part of the part of the problem um, with the proposition, those can't grow by more than population and inflation. So they're held harmless. They, they do get to grow by population and, and inflation until these two pension programs are 90% uh, funded. It provides a slight priority to pension debt, but it excludes uh, from that priority prioritization, all the enterprise funds, so the airport, um, garbage pickup, water, wastewater, all, all excluded. So those are exempt from being handcuffed by this. Right. Those, those, that spending will still go on. And within the general fund, um, what's spent on public safety is excluded, and that's like 70% of the general fund. So it's a very narrow range of... of soft services that the city provides, libraries, swimming pools, so things, this, things like that. But, but even those get to grow by population and inflation. So, so if, this, if 106 passes, um, you probably will see less spending uh, that, that would have otherwise happened on libraries, uh, parks, pools. Possibly, but they could still grow by inflation, by population and inflation. Right. So the current, the, what they currently spend can keep up with inflation, population. Right. But probably any bells and whistles or extra things they might want to spend otherwise wouldn't or any be able expansion to in, in in those programs. Right. So, um, and then you said there's also. A way for the city council to bypass this, if there, there they is, want to. Yeah, there there is a provision that allows the mayor to um, declare an emergency. Although that term has no meaning anymore, the all sorts of things that are only supposed to be emergency powers are done routinely, um, particularly by the state legislature to a lesser extent by by city government. Uh, and it requires the approval of eight of the nine members of the city council. So there are there is a mechanism to override the limitation. Uh, any other um, points on that you wanna you wanna highlight on on one six or on city dynamics in general before we? Well, I, I do think that. I mean, 106 will not have a lot of consequence. It, it won't restrict city spending very much. It won't result in um, paying down the debt very rapidly. Um, but it does, I think, make a useful statement in terms of prioritization and to say we need to quit ignoring mm -hmm. Uh, this debt problem, and uh, perhaps uh, I mean, I'm skeptical that either of these uh, will pass, given the dynamics in these special city elections. So you're, you're predicting it will not pass. These I, will I, I, not pass. I'll be very surprised if either one of them passes because of the nature of the electorate in these special elections that we discussed uh, previously. But were it to pass, 
I think it might have an impact beyond its narrow direct consequences by being a statement by the body politic that we want the council to pay more attention and give greater priority to paying down this debt before we reach the point where we can't pay the benefits that have been promised. Right. Well, thanks everybody for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. If you want to follow Robert Rob, you can find him on Twitter at RJ Rob. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Billy Rob Thirty Three. Uh, you can email the podcast at robpodcast at gmail Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Overcast, SoundCloud, or any other podcasting app. Thanks.